Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Out Week, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Martin Riley, the Luke Ayling cross defender of the podcast. Oh wait, he was my man, and I'm joined by the Leeds United financial accounts for the 21-22 season, Dan Holsworth. Kinnear is being paid how much? And I'm joined by Leeds United set piece defender of the podcast. Well, this feels scarily familiar. It's John McKenzie. How are you doing today, John? I am doing wonderfully. Yeah, I'm doing well. It's um, it's funny listening to you having to read out the intro that I wrote all those years ago, <laughs> and yeah, there's quite a few things in there that's quite hard to say, isn't it? Like, cast their combined eye is quite quite a tricky one to get your mouth around. But so I apologise about that. But yeah, I'm doing really well. How how are you? I'm I'm doing good. I've had a fun day. I've been to the cinema with with my boy uh, to see the Mario Kart film, Mario Kart film, the Mario film, um, with my missus and our youngest daughter as well. So that was quite fun. I've just finished uh, a pizza how about have you eaten today we've had a, a bit of a theme going for food at the moment yeah i've noticed this you, you guys really seem to be into your telling everyone exactly what food you had for dinner before recording yeah right at the moment uh, i've just had a mcdonald's oh, that's which good. is disgusting i apologize but i ha- they, they do the uh the ch- chicken big mac now which is one of the wonders of the world as far as i'm concerned but you have to get it without the pickle in it no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. The chicken Big Mac is good. I haven't actually had it yet, but I can imagine what it tastes like, and I'll be up for that. How about you, Dan? How are you doing today? I'm not too bad, mate. Not too bad. I'm just upset. I'm not the third person this time. I've been the butt of the jokes every week, so <laughs> I was coming to enjoy that. So you know, put me back third, please. Um, next time. Yeah, I'm good, mate. And um, I had a nice day today. We had a lovely lamb dinner, which is very traditional at Easter. So. That's all good. Oh, that's, that's great. Uh, cheers for that, Dan. Uh, so we'll get get straight into it then. So we're here today to talk about the Crystal Palace loss, and I'll go through quickly what happened. Uh, Leeds set up in a 4-4-2 structure, with Palace going for a 4-3-3 shape. Leeds started the game well, getting into lots of good positions. The best of the chance fell to Luis Sinistera, when an errant clearance landed beyond the Palace defenders, giving him a great opportunity, which he narrowly put wide. Leeds took the lead in the 21st minute, thanks to a well-worked set-piece routine, with Bamford looping a header into the far corner. Crystal Palace threatened from set-pieces, coming close when Jeff Schlupp hit the post, but Leeds kept applying pressure with Palace goalkeeper Johnson making a few key saves. 
Just when it's looking like the game would go into the second half, 1-0 to Leeds. Palace scored thanks to a set-piece seen Mark Gahey beats Melier to the ball and poking it past Frenchman in the 46th minute, making the score 1-1. In the second half, Leeds struggled to get started, not making any chances in the opening minutes and indeed for much of the rest of the game. And in the 53rd minute, Crystal Palace struck again, with Luke Ealing reacting slowly. Ayu took advantage and headed across past Melier. The scoreline didn't stay 2-1 for long. Two minutes later, Leeds lost the ball in transition, with Palace quickly attacking with Eberieze, starting past the onrushing Melier, making the score 3-1. Leeds made three subs, trying to get back into the game, with Rodrigo and Anto and Christensen entering the field, but still struggled to create chances. Then Palace struck again in the 69th minute, making the most of a counter-attack with Orson Eduard finishing past Melier to bring the score to 4-1. With the game already over, the route continued, with Jordan Ayew scoring his second of the game in the 77th minute, bringing the score to 5-1. And thankfully, no more were added in the final 13 or so minutes, and not a right lot else happened in that time. So, do you guys think that's an okay summary? What went on? Sounded good to me. You got all the goals in there, and uh, I don't envy you it. Yeah, I was tempted to just say four goals happened in the second half and just leave it, but I thought I'd better commit to it a bit more than that. So we'll get into breaking down a bit more into what happens in this game because it was certainly a fun one. So we'll ease into it a bit slowly. We'll take a look at the first half. In the first half, I felt we were doing pretty well. There were some areas of concern, but overall I was reasonably confident going into the second half. What was your view of the first half, John? Well, I think having watched this back a couple of times, there was a lot of, I, I suppose, interest from people as to what actually changed, because the general consensus seemed to be that until the goal was scored, we'd played fairly well, um, and then at that point things started to change, um, the the momentum shifted slightly, and then obviously in the second half things things changed more dramatically. Um, mm, yeah, my theory on this, and I think Dan's done some uh, watch back. Um, confirmation to 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 really see whether or not this this has worked out but my view is that actually at the moment Leeds are still a team who are probably best at generating chances through counter pressure um and I feel as though when we are able to counter press quite well in the central midfield areas then we are actually able to um I don't want to say control games because I don't think control is maybe the right word but we're able to get um, uh, our upside and we're able to generate um, a, a little bit more than than we have done in, in games where we can't do that and I think it felt to me as though we were able to be quite aggressive off the ball we were able to um, actually stop Palace from getting into their rhythm for the first 20 minutes and um, in those instances we we were able to generate chances um, variously through yeah usually winning the ball back and doing these quick attacks where we're able to um, be fairly direct towards the goal um, after the 21st minute and the and the goal, it felt as though that happened less and less. Um, and with that, it meant that Palace were able to control possession of the ball a little bit more. And for me, in those instances, we were uh, we we started to struggle a little bit more. Um, I think in the first half, they only really generated set piece chances. Um, and I think that um, I, again, there's maybe a narrative around which is that we generated way more chances than them but the xg doesn't agree with that now i think there's something going on there which is that we didn't generate maybe a lot of dangerous chances but once we hit those chances the post shot expected goals was quite high so sam johnson had to pull off quite a few nice saves as you mentioned in your in your summary uh, and so i think once you take that into account 
you can consider us unlucky to maybe not score a couple in that first half. Um, but in terms of actually generating chances in the first place, I didn't think we generated that many. I think there was the, the ones that stood out to me in terms of the ones we created was the Aronson one, um, where he, he does that flick through his legs. Um, and there was another Sinistera one from an ailing cross, I think. Um, Beyond that, I felt as we didn't really generate much apart from set pieces as well. Um, so for for me, the first half was was largely about um, maybe kicking set pieces backwards and forwards. But yeah, for me, the the story of that first half was we went into the into the opening of the game aggressive, out of possession, turned the ball over, were able to stop Palace from getting on top, and for whatever reason, around the twenty minute mark or some point after that, we we went a little less intense and. Palace were able to get a little bit more of a foothold in the game and were able to possess the ball and cause us problems in that way. Yeah, that's a lot of interesting stuff there and things which I agreed with. Um, just to clarify, when I said we were doing, playing well, I think I was more referring to the way we were limiting Palace to not being able to create <clears throat> in in possession um, other than set pieces. So, But yeah, the the, set, the chance creation, well, the biggest one was the Aronson flick. Um, and in that first half, Palace created just around 0.71 XG and we created 0.98, I think, if I'm, if I'm reading on the stat correctly. Um, so yeah, the, we just, just edged it in the first half, but probably a 1-1 scoreline was probably fair. Um, cause that, the gay chance was a big one, even if it was at root cause, maybe a little bit late Melier coming out to meet him so but either way um Dan anything you've got to add to that on this question well yeah yeah John referenced that I've been looking watching the game and kind of keeping a tally mark about how many um high regains each team did in in various spells so this is this is winning the ball in the opposition half or kind of high you know up around the center circle and beyond um up until the first goal, so the first 20-21 minutes, Leeds won the ball high against Palace 15 times compared to Palace's two. So Leeds had that kind of that pressing advantage and, and that dominance. Then between the Leeds goal and half-time, Leeds won the ball high five times, Palace won the ball high up seven times. Now, what was interesting was after Leeds scored, Palace had quite a frenetic sort of five-minute spell and they had a couple of corners where, you know, a couple of dangerous-looking corners. They won the ball, f- I think it was three times in the lead-up to that, kind of winning those corners. So they kind of pressed us, won some corners, generated something. Leeds kind of regained control then for a period and so the game started to look like the first 20 minutes for maybe 10 minutes or so. And then after 40, Palace again pushed and had three or four kind of high regains, got some set pieces, got the Furpo yellow card, got the goal. So... I think there was there was a definite kind of Palace had two little spells of around four or five minute at a time of, of pressing and high regain where they, they got them into the game. That gave the the coaching staff something to tell the players, look, look, if you can get into these, you know, we can we can hurt them. If you can really, if you can you can get the pressing working, get you know, win some high balls, we'll hurt these, these this team. So so I kind of wonder if that was the turning point or if that was the the kernel of the turning point in the game really. Those little spells after the goal and just before half time. Yeah, that's great, great stuff. I really appreciate yeah. the, de- the detail you went into there, and especially working out the higher gains. That's, that's very good work. Um, but that actually goes into the next question quite nicely. Uh, there's been some assertions that we just absolutely did lead and fell apart. Um, totally bottom on it. Starting with the goal on the cusp of half time. Uh, do you think this was the case, Dan? 
Uh, well, every fan base says we do it like we, we, our team fall apart, and that's a doing a Leeds or that's doing a Villa, isn't it? They all say that, but but kind of. I mean, following on from the theme, so between half time and going two one down on the fifty second minute, Palace won the ball high seven times to Leeds at zero. So Palace really did come out and hit us hard and got the got the got the noses in front at two one, and then you're just into a game state situation, aren't you, where Palace can just hit us on the counter. Um, if if you look if you extend that period from half time until Palace went four one up, which is what the point I stopped counting to be honest, they they had ten regains to our four. So again, even even when they were in front and Leeds should have been pushing and winning the ball higher to get back in the game, Palace was still winning the kind of regain count. I just I just feel that the, you know the game is just purely all around well not all about but the the, the biggest change in the in, in in the game is that Palace obviously got more aggressive and won that ball high up. Now why and how they managed to do that I'm not quite clear on, but they certainly did that and that is the thing that that, that turned the game. No, that that's very good. I, I, I've been thinking similar myself, and it's clear that I think also I think the the early goals in the second half. I think will affected things as well. Um, I think especially conceding so early and then again two minutes after that, it really did set us to <laughs> fall apart easier. I think. I think mm. there was certain aspects of us bottling it after those goals went in, but I think like you mentioned, the the slow cause of it was this lack of pressure or pressure easing off a little bit, possibly a little bit of con- um, con- contemplation, not contemplation, complacency, that's what that's the word I'm looking <laughs> for. Uh, so yeah, that's what, that's. I'd, I'd agree with that, what you said there. So how about you, John? Do you think anything different? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm interested in why people want to label things like this bottling it, um, because it seems to me that the phrase bottling it is used almost to defend the way that we played to an extent to be like well you know this was just a one-off we lost it um and and that's not necessarily an issue because it probably won't happen again um i'm not sure if i agree necessarily with that approach because you know we we if we bottled it we bottled it at 1-1 against like relegation rivals at home um I i feel as though that is um instructive in some way and again, the question for me is, what was it that caused us to fall apart? And I think that there is an element to which this is a tactical phenomenon, right? Something has happened, something has changed. And the big question is, will that happen again um, in, in other games? Is there something here that other teams will fall on and say, actually, this is this is something that's been going on or can go on again with, with Leeds? So... I think calling it bottling it, and I, I know that, that this is the narrative and we need to discuss it, that's the temptation. But I do feel as though, regardless of what happened, something went badly wrong. And in a situation where you've got a few games left to make sure you stay up in a season, that's still concerning. So I suppose for me, the big the big question about this is, to what extent do we think that this was something which could be a problem in the next few games to what extent do we think that whatever happened tactically was something that is worth worrying about or to what extent do we think it actually is just a you know a black swan event that we're not gonna we're not gonna see again um and yeah i I guess for me a lot a lot of this then brings us back to the conversations that a lot of us have been having in the last few weeks with javi gracia about his actual play style and i think i've been someone who has been out there saying I have concerns with with certain aspects of the way that we're playing. I don't think that we're as good in possession, maybe as as some people are saying. Um, for example, and I think this is this bears out in that game insofar as there's the the only way that we 
seemingly been able to control the game has been by counter pressing and the out of possession stuff, which is you know which is fine. Uh, but I think that the the big problem that a lot of us have had with Leeds throughout the whole season has been that they haven't been able to control games in other phases of play and that becomes mm. a real issue if we can't defend in defensive transition and there was definitely issues there if we can't possess the ball well enough to actually generate repeatable chances in certain ways that's not good enough either and so by calling it a bottle job for me a little bit we're we're sort of um deflecting the blame a little bit from the way that we're playing at the moment now it could be the case that i'm wrong in in diagnosing what some of the problems are there so i'm, I'm happy to be be told that i'm wrong but i do think that that's the way that we should be thinking about this and approaching it how how do we talk about what actually happened in a way that that makes us sure that actually what happened here was a head loss rather than actually there was tactical reasons why we couldn't control the possession of the ball why we couldn't defend in transition on a number of occasions why it was that we got you know the same old problems of switches of play causing us problems fullbacks getting isolated uh, a lack of organization in the central midfield areas etc so yeah I'm interested to hear your guys thoughts on on some of those questions yeah there's a lot of things to to break down from this because some of the issues that we've seen in that game have occurred earlier in the season on, on, on in different forms especially with the regards to the switches which is something which has been a fallen outside for a long time um and i think the one thing you mentioned there about um organization and defending against set piece transitions and one of one of the other narratives which we've seen is that we've been missing a defensive organizer um, like Cooper or Verber, uh, there have been guys who people have said that um, are vocal and will tell people to get into what areas. And I was wondering if that's something which has come into play in in this game. Uh, Dan, we'll come to you on this. I mean, how do we know that Wobber's a good organizer? We just we just know he shouts at points. I mean, you could be saying any old nonsense. So we just don't know, do we? Um, I mean, it may well be that Wobber is a good organizer and great if he is. Um, but we just, from from our perspective, until the coach comes out or one of his teammates comes out and says, Wobe is a great organiser and he really helps my positioning, we don't know. We can only infer from, from someone pointing and shouting. I mean, Cooper shouts and points a lot. Did he always feel like we were well organised when Cooper was playing? <laughs> Especially not at the back end of Bielsa time. No, of course we didn't. But that was for yeah. reasons of, other reasons of my marking and all that kind of stuff. So... I just don't think we know. I mean, where Wober might be useful is Wober seems to be quite a good last ditch uh, defender, doesn't he? He's quite good at re- you know recovery and the last ditch hero defending. Well, if we're going to be so bad defensively, maybe we'll need need some of that. <laughs> so perhaps he will be good, but not for the reasons uh, people think. Maybe. I think it's a it's a fairly classic fan base reaction to anything like this to suggest that the solutions to all of our problems are just off the pitch. It's a phrase that I've used on this podcast a lot, and um, yeah, I, I, again, we're falling very quickly into the into the end of days Jesse Marsh period of blaming all of the individuals for everything that's going wrong. Uh, my instinct is always going to be that in these sorts of situations, if your if your fullbacks are getting isolated, if your centre back and and your back line are getting pulled apart from the central midfield and the and and the wide players dropping in th- there's usually tactical explanations for why that's happening it's not just the case that all of our players are bad at defending it's that 
Opposition's actually very good at forcing situations where they can isolate those players and make them look bad. So it, that's not to say that I think that all of our players are uh, without blame in, in what happened at the weekend. But um, I, I always think that the more interesting questions are like, how are those situations forced? How, how did the opposition get us into those moments? Um, I think with the, the last couple of goals, obviously we were pushing forward um, at 3-1 down. Uh, and there's like it's obvious to see that you know Strauch and and um, Koch were isolated on a number of occasions. There's just the two of them back. I think it was was it the Odson Edward goal where I think both Ailing and Furpo were really high up the field, and it was just a case of of Palace breaking against two centre backs, like against maybe three players, and that's tough. That's tough to do at that level, uh, and and not come away with um, without conceding a big chance as well. But I think before that they're they're. There's definitely a lot of situations where I think we could have been better defensively organised. Um, I spent a bit of time watching the game back and having a think about some of those. But again, it's there seems to be this narrative that has been spun by a lot of the fan base that Javi Gracia is a, is a, a manager who is going to be um, going back to basics and doing the, the, the basics well. But I think if you this this you watch some of the things that are happening on the pitch at the weekend, and some of the basics aren't happening well in those defensive blocks. Um, so yeah, again, I think that there's there's a lot there's a lot going on, and I and I um I know that I've I've sort of garnered a reputation of being a harbinger of doom and gloom. But again, I think the the, the interesting thing from the weekend is that. It, it sort of showed up what a lot of the narratives have just sort of taken on board as being the results are good, therefore this must be good. And it, it really showed them up to to, to be, um, yeah, maybe maybe something a, a little bit more tactical. And I guess that is why people want to call this a head loss, because if we can call it a head loss, if we can call it a bottle job, we can say this is an outlier, this is something that isn't going to be repeated and we're going to go back onto that w- wonderful streak of, of winning games under under Javi Gracia. But I do think that there's maybe something more to it now. Again, he, he's only been in the job for uh, a little while. He's not had a huge amount of time to really embed ideas. And, you know, Je- Jesse Marsh did the same, right? We didn't see his ideas coming into fruition until he'd had a full pre-season. But at the same time, I think we shouldn't use that then as an excuse to not talk about the issues that are very current and very apparent because those are the issues that are going to be the things that eventually take us down. Yeah, that's, that's very, very true. Um, we've got a lot of issues to work on and I think some people were maybe getting ahead of themselves as to how good we've been under Grazia. Um, I do think there has been some some improvements um, and but I know it's been such a low bar for certain things this season that it's probably felt like a relief just to see some things that that we do like that some people have got ahead of themselves, which I can understand. Um, so some, especially when we win a couple of games in a row, not well, not in a row. If we win a couple of games over a period of time, it gives more confidence and the things like along those lines. Uh, Dan, I think I saw you. you yeah, to say something there. I mean, in terms of the things that. Gracia has improved. A lot of people talk about our on the ball and you know, our ability to build. I think he has improved that a little bit. I'm not, let's not deny that. But what worried me a little bit about the second half on um, Sunday, yeah, Sunday, was that Palace were able to force us to go long fairly quickly. They were able to dis- disrupt that and force us to go long. And they probably wanted that situation. They wanted us to go long because essentially Banford was being dominated by by the two centre-halves. Great centre-halves at Palace, I think. Those are really good centre-halves. He's really been dominated. Uh, and so, therefore, the ball was coming back. So, I think that was that was a, a strategic thing, wasn't it? To force us along um, to win those high regains. Um, 
Now, if you compare that with the the the, the Forest match, Bamford won his battle, didn't he? So we had we had you know we had territory, didn't we? Because of Bamford, he did a really great job holding the ball up. Yes, people complained about him missing the chances, but I would have swapped Bamford's performance. <laughs> All day, you know, again with the Forest game all all, all day long because that is probably part of the reason why we lost the territorial battle second half. Or a part of that because he wasn't able to get hold of the ball, the wingers weren't either, and and we were forced to go long. And but that's what worries me a little bit. We're supposed to be better on the ball, and just a little bit of pressing from you know from the from the the, the, the Palace eights, and all of a sudden we're we're forced to like lob it over the top. And, you know, and that, that's that's a concern. Yeah, it definitely is a concern. Um, despite these. This also we'll say slight improvements um, to what we've been able to mm. do on the ball. What Palace were doing wasn't really anything groundbreaking. They didn't really ch- massively change up their pressing structure in the second half. At least nothing that I noticed. There was maybe some slight things. I think uh, Dan, you mentioned something around it being seen more for four, 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 sorry, four one four one rather than four three three. That's something you saw. I, I, wonder, I wondered on a couple of occasions that. So Palace, I think Palace went a little bit more narrow in the second half as well. I thought the wingers tucked in along, and they kind of almost formed a line alongside the eights, and the eights pushed up a bit, and it, it almost became um, a pressing five for Palace, leaving a, a pressing a defensive five. And they were kind of, I think they were kind of trying to pin our our back four and two defensive midfielders in. So you know, and isolating, therefore isolating Bamford and our wingers, and I think they did quite a good job of that. And I kind of felt like it looked like more like a four-one-four-one, whereas in the first half they had more of a unit, uh, more of a midfield-free unit. So it looked like more like a four-three-three. I mean, it's a minute difference. It's almost the same formation, isn't it? Really, but it just felt there was a little bit more of a, a line of four and a quite a narrow line of four, whereas where Elise was almost like a second eight at times, and and Ie was almost like a second eight alongside Schlupp and um, Eze. Yeah. So I do think that's what happened. But I, I know you guys didn't. You, you thought there were more four one four one throughout the game, really. I don't know if, it, if you agree that there was a slight change. I think maybe the explanation for this could have been just that because we were able to counter press quite aggressively at the beginning, it just meant that their structure collapsed a little bit more. So because we were falling on the ball um, with a little bit more um, aggressiveness, it just it, it meant that they were sort of drawn into those challenges as well. Um, whereas I felt that once as the game went on, they were just able to hold that structure more and more compactly as they went um but yeah i definitely think that they they did come out narrower in this it, as the game went on maybe even before the second half but um I, yeah I, whether or not that that impacted the um the, the game i don't know the other thing i noticed was that uh, again so much of this comes down to the, the the game state because i felt that when they were able to control the ball more and we were less able to win it back it meant that we were uh, our two wide players were being dragged a lot deeper. So in the first twenty minutes, Sinistero in particular found a lot of space outside their fullback and was always a possible out ball. But then, because we couldn't control the ball at all, it just meant that he was constantly deeper in the field because he was constantly having to drop back and help out the fullbacks to to defend as well. Um, I, I also felt that we got really, really kind of flat in in those situations. So there's, I think I sent you guys a screenshot yesterday of a situation where we were defending and you, we ended up with two clumps of three players on either side um so we had the center back on one side the full back and then the wide player all in a line and then the same on the opposite side too and it, it, that felt to me as though we were just getting our center midfielders really isolated as well um and despite the fact that we had six players back, it still felt like we had acres of space constantly between the centre halves. Um, and I think this is a, a structural issue that I've seen a couple of times in in games so far. And I, and I think the re- reason for that is that 
um, when we're in those deep block goal defending moments, it seems as though Gracia wants the centre backs to push across laterally to help out when when the ball goes past the fullback. Um, but we're not necessarily seeing the centre mids dropping in in the space between, which often happens. So you'll often see your centre midfielder on the ball side dropping into the space between the fullback and the centre back just to give an added level of of cover. A really good example of this actually is the the second goal, which is Pascal Strauch ends up going out to Michael Elise to cover for um, for Junior Firpo, and we have Elise, uh, we have Strauch blocking Elise. We have Harrison on Joel Ward, I think it is, and then we just have Firpo doing absolutely nothing in that wide area, uh, and then the space between uh, Strauch and Cock is massive, and we don't see. Mark Rocker dropping into the defensive line deep enough I don't think because in those situations you want him to essentially cover for the centre-back he should be on the same line as the other centre-back with the idea that if the ball comes in he can push out to, to head the ball away so there's lots of little things like that when I look at the defensive setups particularly the deep defensive setup where it feels as though there's big gaps between the centre-backs that aren't being plugged by the, the centre midfielders uh, and there's also like sometimes confusion about who should be where um, in terms of who should be marking who, who should be covering a zone etc um, and again a lot of this was caused by so in that example I've just given with with Pascal Strauch being covering for, for Junior Firpo that was all caused by the fact that um, Palace were able to move from one side of the pitch to the other very quickly, meaning that you pull out that centre back, and the and usually what will happen is the fullback drops into the defensive line. That was happening quite a lot in the game, particularly as the game went on, and those situations ended up with us having horrible defensive structure, and Palace were just eating through those those defensive structures really really easily. I was going to say I wonder, I remember back in the for the Wolves game and the Brighton game we were kind of seeing a situational back five at times and the centre backs would shuffle across and the, the winger would tuck in it almost like a wing back mm. and like I didn't see that happening a lot and I wonder if that would have been a better solution and if they stopped doing that for some reason and you know if the if if the situation where strike is going out to the left back position that you know they just took along and Alien becomes the right centre back sure. and and yeah. and and you know is it maybe because Sinister oh it's uh, Jack Harrison on the right so Jack Harrison wasn't it was coming Jack back. Harrison was on that side yeah. for a bit uh, they switched at the beginning of the second half I yeah. think um, so yeah but it, it, that was just one one situation that struck in my mind yeah. Yeah, I, I, whenever the, that sort of thing happens, I, I kind of feel as though it's clear that the that the players don't know what their role is in that sort of situation, um, and that's precisely what we've been told that that Gracia is good at. It's that he's good at this that the basic defensive structure, and then the worry is is that maybe it's not quite so interesting or or elegant in possession. But the, that doesn't matter because we're not going to give up many goals. So when we do get goals, we, we'll be likely to win. Again, maybe maybe it is a head loss situation. Maybe they do know what they're doing. But there's so many examples that we can point to that led to goals or big chances where the players are, are, are just all over the place. Uh, the the other one was the the third goal, the Eze goal where the ball goes from one side of the pitch to the other very quickly. And again, the space between the two centre-backs is absolutely ginormous. Um, Eze manages to get a run on Mark Rocker. If you see the situation when Decore, I think, has the ball, plays it to Eze, who then plays it to Elise, um, both the central midfielders are very, very narrow in essentially the same position. Um, And so it's just a simple two-pass break from one side of the pitch to the other, and then they've got the 
the centre backs, full backs isolated, players running at speed, and and yeah, everything falls apart from that point. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things I think, which I'm not sure if it's that, pe- that some players, like you say, aren't sure where they're meant to be, and there's something interesting. I'm not sure how much it means. It's just a post-match interview, but with Bamford, he said that we we didn't stick to the game plan in the second half, but we did in the first half. Um, so that, did he did he elaborate on that? Did he no, say he, 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 did, he, he didn't say specifically what part of the game plan they didn't follow. But I'm, I'm I'm not sure if there's too much into that. If it's that maybe they were told to be a bit more ag- aggressive in the press, or it could, it could be any number of things that they didn't follow the game plan for. I wonder if that was the on-ball stuff and and the fact we just got resorted to lumping it. Lumping yeah. it. I wonder yeah. if it's that, but that's I'm guessing. Yeah, it could be any number of things, um, but it's 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 possible that that certain certain players weren't in the position that they should have been per whatever they've been training um, this week. I'd imagine the training that they've been doing for this this game will have been quite similar to the Forest game, right? Because they're quite similar teams, the Forest and Palace, in the way they attack and the way they defend as well. So I'm I'm wondering if if certain players weren't. Like, like you said, with the space between the centre-backs, if they, they should have been covering in the spot between the full-back and the centre-back rather than drifting wider, if, if that was what he's referring to. But again, we, we, we're just guessing here. It could be any number of things. I know that, that Tom HC said that I think he was there quite close to the bench. And I think he was saying that Gracia was getting quite frustrated at the fact that they weren't very calm in possession. And that definitely tallies with what we saw, right? It was... I don't know. I don't know what point it started getting really frantic. I feel as though we, you know, the, as the game unfolded, it, we go in one-one at half time, and they get quite a quick goal, and then quite a quick goal after that. Um, and I feel as though after that point, it just got quite frantic. We pushed forward too much, and then conceded two goals by being almost too aggressive in in a lot of respects. Um, so I don't know whether or not that was the point at which they've isolated and said we didn't keep to the the game plan, but. Um, yeah, it, it. I mean, clearly we didn't plan to, to lose the game 5-1, so something. So, and we went in 1-1 at half time, so clearly something went wrong, right? Yeah, that, that was the game plan that Pat was referring to. Don't lose 5-1, and they lost 5-1. So <laughs> yeah. that, that, that was clearly yeah, it. They we, did we, exactly we, what they weren't supposed to do. We've, yeah. we've cracked it. We've cracked it. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, um, one of the things I've, I've noticed in the past few games, obviously in the past few games we've been a bit pressier than we were in the, in the few games before that because we had Chelsea and we had Brighton where we had to defend more passively. 
Um, but I've noticed that we've packed ourselves into certain areas, and I think you sent some screenshots over, John, which was where it was very, very compact in some areas, quite reminiscent of what we would see on the marsh. Uh, do you think this is the kind of thing that, I know I won't, if we're, I'm guessing because I'm not sure what real playstyle Heavy Gracia does have, but do you think this is what Gracia wants in a counter-press, or do you think it's just the players fall into bad habits, or not bad habits, but previous systems? I don't think it's necessarily motivated by counter-pressing necessarily. I think, to an extent, it, it probably is. I, I do think that we are still quite a counter-pressy team. And the problem that you have then, as we've talked about at length on this podcast, is that if you are a team who likes to counter-press and you're a team who also likes to play with width, which is what we've been seeing has happened, and the the suppositions that I've seen is that Gracia asked the players what they liked and what were the things about the the way that they played that they liked and they've tried to fit fit those sorts of things into their style a little bit. Um whether or not that's contributed to this game, I mean we we've not mentioned the fact that Leeds had a midweek game last week. I think what to what impact what to what extent has that had impact on the way that you are going to press intensely right for a whole game? Um I don't know, but I'm sure that there's there's some impact there. Um but yeah, at the same time you know the the problem with as we've said at length if you want to play wide build up play then you're always going to struggle to to counter press if you lose the ball not least because your wide players are getting isolated right so um we've talked already about how sinisteria in particular likes to get isolated on that left hand side so he can um shoot the ball across to him when we're getting under too much pressure on one side um, but if he loses the ball, then you're almost committing to losing the ball, and then you have to fall back into your defensive structure. So, the 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 particularly in the settled defence, I do think we are very narrow, um, and I don't think that's necessarily a problem. There are teams who do defend quite narrow, but I think the problem is is that we're trying to squeeze the opposition against the sideline and falling into that marsh trap again, right? So, a few situations again at the uh, at the weekend where. We've got the fullback pushed up to try and help out in the press. We've got with situational back three. We've got the fullback on the wrong side of the penalty spot, laterally across the pitch. There's a huge amount of space on that side to to protect. Um, usually, I think when teams play, just thinking like early New, Eddie Howe's Newcastle, um, they used to defend quite quite narrow as a back four, but they would they would stay fairly central and they would allow space on either side. So that the the idea being then that you rate yourselves to be able to um, protect the middle and even if you're giving away space in the wide areas that's fine whereas I feel as though we were very much the towards the let's press them against the sidelines uh, and make it make it hard for them to to build up and the problem has been that you know as soon as a team like Palace is getting set even a team like Palace as soon as they're getting settled they can just swing the ball from one side to the other and then you end up particularly on that right hand side of theirs where they've got Eze, Elise um, and, and, and I guess Odson Edward, um, maybe less so Joel Ward, but um, that that that's just a that's a that's an axis of dynamism, right? With Eze and, and Elise, and we saw that a few times. Um, if you're giving them, getting them into one v one or equal number situations, you're going to expect them them to come out quite well. So, yeah, I I don't know to what extent that that is intentional. 
I suspect it must it must be intentional because if if a coach is going to sit there and sees if you if you go back and watch the game, just look for example even the, even when we get into a four four two block, which is what we do, right? You, we we basically play a sort of four four two four two four mid block, which can be quite aggressive with the wingers just stepping up onto the fullbacks quite quickly. Um, but it, once we fall back from there into that four four two block, if you just look at how narrow the wide players are. Again, Sinistero, the situations that I can remember from watching the game, almost on the wrong side. Again, almost on the wrong side of the penalty. So in the in the opposite half to the half you expect him to be in, laterally lo- along the pitch, you're leaving a huge amount of space out on the other side, particularly for a team like Palace, who have the players who can you know get the ball. There are a few situations where they move the ball forward, they they play two or three passes, and they're they're out of their own penalty area and into the opposition final third. That's that's a risky way of playing, I think. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And so, but I think that there, there have been times when we, where we have been using the wingers differently to defend. It's like especially in the Chelsea and Brighton game, we it almost started looking more like a back five. You'd have uh, Luke Ayling jo- joining, um, being a little bit narrower and more in, inverted, mm-hmm. uh, making it a back three. And then you, were, I think, we had Harrison on the right and. Um, some of Ilos and Acero, one of those two were on, on the other side, so it made it look more like a, oh no, it was, it was just Furpo, actually, it was just Furpo saying that, and then, uh, but you, you would still have more spread across the, the players were more spread across the pitch, so it didn't mean that we were able to defend uh, laterally easier, I think. And, but so I think it, I'm, I am leaning more towards it is something that Grassley wanted in these games where we are dealing with um, a team who aren't one of the best in the in in the league, like what we were doing in the previous games against Brighton and Chelsea. So I think I, I would probably say that it is intentional. What are your thoughts on this, Dan? Well, well so I, I sit in the north stand, so sometimes you can see it's quite a good position for understanding the width. It's not great for understanding what's happening in the, in, at the far end. But I noticed against Forest, we were particularly wide when we on, on the ball, so the wingers really, really held the width. And I just wonder if it's as simple as um, we weren't particularly worried about the Forest Central midfield, where we were worried about Eze. So we just looked to pack the area, and it was just about getting bodies around Eze, because we knew Eze, you know, Eze can run through an open midfield. So I wonder if it was as simple as that, and it was just a, a lack of confidence in our ability to, you know, ma- maintain the ball and, and, and fall back into a defensive shape quick enough and not get hurt by Palace. It might have been as simple as that. And also, we've played a game midweek, Palace hadn't, you know, we're a little bit more tired, so there's a little bit more caution that's getting close together, let's be cautious. So I wonder if it's as, it's as simple as that, really. I did think that in the second half in particular, it felt as though Palace tried to get Joel Ward even further forward. Um, they also tried to play the ball into those seams, so the seam between the fullback and the centre back, a lot. Um, partially because they were being given enough time to get, particularly um, Joachim Anderson on the ball, who's a good ball player. So it, it almost felt as though they pass it around one side, pass it around the other. If Anderson got in space, he would just play it into that seam, um, and and the the, fo- the centre forward would try and run in behind the fullback. Um, and the, yeah, there was a few examples of, of that happening. Um, and I think they were just sort of overloading in those sorts of areas, knowing that they had a good chance of winning the ball because they were isolating up against the 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 opposition uh, against our flat um, back line um, and uh, yeah I suppose in this sort of situation as well maybe we haven't really talked about this but did it feel to you guys that like playing a two-man midfield just felt like murder in this game like when when they've got th- th- I mean I guess we technically you know technically we're in a sort of 4-2-3-1 shape but out of possession Aronson pushes up and alongside 
Bamford, and then we just had we just had the two central midfielders just having to cover a huge amount of space, um, and it felt as though Palace really were able to dominate once once we the intensity dropped down. They were really just a, able to s- sort of dominate in those central spaces, and 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 that was and that was fine. So yeah, I, I wondered if either of you had thoughts on on whether or not that was maybe a little bit of a naive approach. Yeah, I don't think it would have been better if we would have had um, a bit extra security in midfield because, um, like you said, Eze and Elise are two fantastic players. Um, Eze is, is very aggressive in, in the midfield with running with the ball. Elise likes to, to invert as well, so you've got those two players who can create up a lot of good link-ups between them. I think maybe the reason why is personnel, um, central midfielders-wise, the only ones we had on the bench was... Greenwood and uh, probably, I'm sure, are probably quite brutal. Adam Forshaw. So there's, uh, I think that's possibly the reason. But we also haven't seen much in- indication that Grouchy had ever thought about switching to a back three when we did have three central midfielders available. We did have at one point Rocker, McKenney, uh, and Adams available, and it wasn't something that we, we saw him do. Uh, he didn't, we didn't even see him think to drop Aronson into central midfield and use Adams as a sole pivot. We didn't see that either. So um, I, I think it's possibly something that Grastia maybe doesn't like to do. Maybe he prefers to have a, a, um, the pivot rather than having a three-man midfield. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Dan? Yeah, I definitely think it's, it's a Grazia, um a preference to have a double pivot there. Absolutely. I mean... The, the solution in my mind would just be drop Aronson in there and say Aronson play eight. You know, I'm sure he could do it. And it probably would help in terms of build up as well, having an extra body in there. We might have more options to play through as well, just having that extra person, extra angle. You just want, you just want aggressiveness in there, don't you? You just yeah. want them to feel as though they've, they've not any time on the ball. And when you have two two players, again, when we were playing that 4 2 4 press, you just have the two central midfielders sort of having to shuffle sideways both ways. And if you can get if you can get it if you can work it around that the, the wide players in that forward line of four, then you just you end up just pulling the shape apart and and it's sort of much easier to attack through the centre. So yeah, it felt to me a little bit like the two central midfielders were sort of non entities defensively at times. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. And most of the time, the um, Bamford and Aronson seem to be a bit of a spare part. In in because uh, since, since we weren't going for a proper aggressive high press, um, it seems to me that they were wasted a bit having yeah. Aronson in that forward press. I mean, I realise um, Aronson probably isn't the most spatially aware defender, with him being more of an attacking player. But I do think that it would have been preferable to have um, three men in midfield, even even if it was with just one of them sitting behind the other two, just so you have that extra person protecting the back four. Yeah, I, I think you have a a two-man forward press when you want to do that that kind of pendulum press where you move where you locate yourself around the opposition pivot player and you want to push out to the center backs but palace are never going to build through their pivot player or have their center backs driving down the field they're always going to be the sort of team who are going to try and build up in wide areas get their full backs on the ball and, and move it that way and i think as a result it means that as you say you end up with two players essentially doing not really a huge amount of work and, and i think as the game went on we ended up with our wide players not even pushing forward because they were scared of the the ball being progressed in the wide areas anyway. And so we just had two forward players who were essentially trying to stop Palace building up. Palace had had all the space and time in the world to just play it around that press. Yeah, so it didn't really make much difference to to have those two players there. Like I said, it would have, for me, been a much better solution to to just, just... 
pull out Aronson back into the middle and yeah. just keep it a bit more solid and wider in the way we was looking to hold that mid-block. I was say, the frustrating thing is, Aronson actually had a pretty good game. You know, For him for yeah. himself, he had one of his better games, didn't he? So he would have probably been really useful in the deeper areas in build-up. I think he showed some good, mo- you know, he had some good moments in building up and combining with, you know, Ailing and, and, and McKenney and things. So I'm sure it, it would have worked, I think. You know, it's not like he wasn't playing well, actually. So it's just frustrating that we didn't even try it. Yeah, it, it, it would have been useful. That definitely would have been because um, if we would have had someone like him a bit deeper, uh, it's possible we would have been able to use him to carry the ball around the, the presses. So, but it's also a thing we could have tried. I think we, we said from the beginning that like, Leeds are actually a really good counter pressing side, right? So if you start with your, if you start with someone like uh, Aronson deeper, winning the ball and then carrying it past their press at that point because you you know you win the ball off them and then you're in behind the line of pressure. You know, we've got McKenney as well, and then Rocker, who's someone who can play through those lines of pressure. There's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't just play with those three in the midfield as and focus on your counter pressing and say, okay, we're going to sit deep, try and win the ball from them if they come through the middle, force them into the middle through the wide areas, uh, and then by by having just a singular forward line on the press, which is Bamford, just making sure that the two centre backs just aren't going to run all the way through the middle invite the ball into that middle, press the ball, and then try and break through at speed. I think that would probably have been a better a better way of approaching the game, but here we are. Yes, indeed. Um, right, I think that's all, all we've got time for for the interrogation. We'll move on to a couple of listener questions that we've got. Um, we've got the first of all one from Jonathan Brook on Twitter. Um, Tell us it's going to be okay, lads. Do the underlying numbers suggest we are staying up? Uh, 5.38, currently predict the 16th place finish. What do you think? We'll go with Dan first, Nicole. Yeah, it's about why I think we'll finish. I think we'll we'll survive, and it'll just be it'll just be above the really bad teams. It will be will be will be the best of the really bad teams, maybe something like that. Yeah, what about you, John? Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost impossible to predict who's going to finish where because essentially, you you even if you just lock a point, it can have a huge difference on where you're going to finish. I mean, I think when we were playing Forest and we we drew level against them, we jumped up three points up the places up the table. Um, so everything's so close that it's almost not worth looking at the models because they're they're not really representative of anything. But in terms of the underlying underlying numbers, suggest we're staying up. Um, I, I th- <laughs> the underlying numbers suggest that we're we're not maybe as good as we we think we are. But at the same time, I, I feel as though you you don't have to be very good to stay up in this table um and that just means that and and that means i think that we should feel positive because we have the players who can affect these results right so we've had lewis sinistera finishing beautiful chance against forest that's the difference between 3 points and and 1 point um we've seen nonto you know win games single-handedly I would be much more confident being leads with players like nonto and 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 um and Sinistera, etc., who can make those game-changing moments versus a team like Forest, who, um, you know, I just don't think that they have those players who necessarily have that kind of impact. Um, with all the with all the respect to Brennan Johnson and and Morgan Gibbs White, both of whom I think are good players, but I think the players that we have can actually get goals, and goals can can change games. Um, so I would feel positive that we would, you know, have enough to stay up. Um, what I don't feel positive about is that this is uh, a, a way of playing that is is particularly representative of where we should want to be at necessarily. Um, so yeah, I I think we'll be fine. But I think my my whole th- my whole shtick with with Grassier has been 
it's great to have a, a manager of his caliber to do an interim job. But when we get to the summer, we need to reassess, see what's what's going on, and try and get better managers before we go for him. So, yep, I'm with you with you both on that. I do also think that we will uh, just about stay up. It won't be pretty. It will change game by game. We'll be bedwetting one week, and we'll be saying we're staying up comfortably the next. It's going to be. Much more of a roller coaster than even last season, I think. I think we'll be in and out of the bottom three. <laughs> but I think we will just about say up, probably with a skin of our teeth moment, someone scoring a long range shot like Harrison did last season. <laughs> so yeah, that, I, th- I think but we should be fine. So hopefully that eases your mind a bit, Jonathan, that we will be fine, but it may, may not be pretty. Um, so the next one is from Alfie in Discord. Does the game-by-game approach from Mr. Javi Gracia result in more panicking from players as they've trained less for how to approach the match when the game stage isn't going their way at all? John? Yeah, this is another narrative that has sort of peaked its head out of the ground, isn't it? It's, um, this idea that Gra- Gracia is quite a reactive coach. I don't know what you guys think of that. I, I'm not. I've, I've, I've probably not focused on him enough to really know, but I feel like the the only differences I've seen is that we press in different shapes depending on what the opposition are doing. But I don't think that's particularly a groundbreaking approach from from um, from a manager. Um, do you guys feel as though he is a sort of flexible coach? He's certainly been more flexible than what we have had um, in, in recent <laughs> yeah. years. But when you go when you go along the the um, idealism of Bielsa and then whatever Marsh was, um, th- then you've not really had much flexibility sure. from either of those managers. So I do think that you know, especially, I think the one thing I look for most is the Brighton game, which I do think that was mm. quite quite a significant change to what we normally do. That was extremely passive to do that, especially at Elland Road. When you had the fans booing whenever we weren't pressing, I do think that is one particular thing that I can point to and say that isn't something we would have seen from many managers that we've had. But again, <laughs> not you, much difference there. Do you think that the, the the flexibility then is mainly out of possession? Do you think that we've seen much difference in terms of the in possession stuff? Yeah, I'd say it's definitely more the out of possession stuff that has been more f- flexible. When we are on the ball, we still will look to get it quickly to our wide players and l- let them have fun and do what they do. But with more focus on um, spreading out, spreading out the play and trying to get some is- isolations going on the far side and quickly get it over there, which is what we haven't had under Marsh. So yeah, I, d- I do think that it is mainly about the out of possession stuff, which is more flexible than what we've had. And then I guess the question is, do we think that that has meant that the players are a little bit more confused about what's going on? I, I suspect probably not, because if you, at least if you have those plans, you're going to spend the week training them so that the players do know what they're doing, right? Yeah, they are professionals at the, at the end of the day, and they are, as much as much some, some games, it may not look like it, but they are Premier League footballers, and they will be able to adapt to these kind of changes as long as they are trained efficiently to do so and it certainly looked like they were trained well enough to do what actually wanted them to do in the Brighton game so I, I think yeah how, how about you Dan? Well I think we're starting to see Gracia kind of patterns of play a little bit aren't we a little bit now we're starting to see you know the way the ball has been moved out through the full back um, or the centre half and, and then it'll come into Aronson or one of the midfielders and it'll, it'll ping out again so it's like a concertina in and out isn't it quite a bit and, and I think he's trying to kind of draw the opposition narrow and then spring the ball out wide so I think we kind of kind of see these repeatable sort of automations. Is that the right the right word? So mm-hmm. um, with Grassy, so I think we're, we're 
we don't necessarily see this changing of approach that we think we see, you know, beyond the Brighton game when it was just, you know, pressing was turned down to one, you know, whereas, you know, against Palace, mm-hmm. pressing was turned up to 11 for, for, mm-hmm. for, for, for a 20-minute for spell. So I think it's, no, I don't think we are seeing this, this, this adapt, uh, such an adaptable coach. I mean, more so than Marsh and the other, and Bielsa, obviously, yeah. you've, made that, you've made that joke. So, so, <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't see it really. No, that's perfectly fine. Hope we've answered that one for you, Alfie. So we'll move on to the Liverpool preview. Uh, so we'll come to you, John, first. I know you've um, watched a fair bit of Liverpool recently. So how are they doing recently? Yeah, I mean, Liverpool is almost impossible to talk about this season. So I, I don't want to get too much into the weeds here. But uh, at the moment, I would say that Liverpool are almost characterised by trying to find out what they've done wrong on the field sort of as on the fly um so yeah a couple of approaches recently so they played against Manchester City and then Arsenal uh, against Manchester City they played this this sort of um similar press to what we play actually that 424 shape um and uh, against a city which is really good at, at, at trying to build up through the middle keeping their press really narrow and if they needed to then being able to move out into the wide areas and exploit it in that way but then for example against Arsenal they did this thing that no one expected them to do which was to invert Alexander Arnold. Um, so everyone's been talking about Alexander Arnold all season. Is he the worst player ever, or is he the greatest fullback ever, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Uh, but yeah, we saw them inverting Alexander Arnold in that game as well. So within the space of you know two games, two very different approaches to the way that they were they were um, playing in possession. Um, so I think it's almost very hard to to say what to expect with them. And, and for me, a lot of it comes down to the fact that they they had a system that worked really well that was dependent on. Uh, certain players being able to press in certain situations. They play a really aggressive style of play, as we know, out of possession. They play with a high line. And I think when you play with a high line, you have to be really, really good at reading the game further up the field. When ball players have um, possession of the ball, you have to make sure that they don't have easy possession so they can just try and... um, have have the best situation to strike the ball and cause problems by playing over the top. The other thing you need to be really good at is you have to be you have to be absolutely nailed on the triggers for your bat line to step up or drop off. Um, and I think that the combination of players leaving, players getting older, has meant that, that Liverpool aren't able to play that style of play. Um, and the problem is is that Jurgen Klopp is a sort of I don't say one trick pony because I think that's unfair, but like he he knows that his one way of playing. And because it's not working at the moment, they're now going through this phase where they're sort of trying different things, seeing, you know, throwing shit against the wall and seeing what sticks, basically. Um, which means that in some games they can be really good and in some games they can be really bad. Um, and it's and it's almost, you know, it's, it almost belies any sort of description, really. So what am I expecting from us? I know that this is the next question, but like, how do you expect them to approach this game? I don't really expect anything. Well, they could they could do anything, really, and I wouldn't be that surprised. Um, I don't know I don't know what you guys are thinking in terms of the, the approach, but usually like, it's a 4-3-3, it's a three, three, right? That's what we expect them to do. We expect them to play... Um, well, yeah, I don't even know what to expect with them out of possession. They used to play a, a sort of... They've played a number of different forward presses and I'm not going to go through them all and bore you because I know that not everyone gets ex- as excited about forward presses as I do. But um, even even to that extent, you know, there's lots of situations where now I see them play and I'm like, I just didn't expect them to do that um, even last week and they're doing it now. So, yeah, I don't know if you guys have got anything more to add to this. I feel as I've not... I've just maybe confused everyone even more. <laughs> Well, it's funny you should mention the um, inverting of Trent Alexander-Arnold because in preparation for this, I watched the Bournemouth game 
and he was he was doing that in that game as well. Uh, right, okay. He was inverting that game, and he saw um, I think it was Harvey Elliott who was shifting across to the right back area to cover him. And there's a few different few different things happening there, so I'm not sure if they was doing this in preparation for this game, the sort of sort of a lack of experiment. What they were doing a little bit more was just inverting him from the off. So he obviously likes yeah. to get into that half space um, because he can play those like De Bruyne esque balls in from there. So he will always move out eventually into that, move in eventually into that space. And as you say, Elliot will drop in. But what this, what was happening here was Liverpool just starting off in a three-two shape. So the the back yeah. four basically becoming a, a, a three and and um, Alexander Arnold. Um, uh, inverting in the first phase of possession and then he was dropping out but he was doing actually kind of kind of interesting because it was it wasn't like a traditional inversion of a fullback because he it was almost as though they were using Canate as a as a fullback and then Trent Alexander-Arnold would drop into the defensive line but often behind Canate as like a second center back in that situation as well so it clearly reduced the amount of tracking back he had to do by having him in the central space so I, whether or not that came into their heads at all I don't know but um, yeah if anyone's interested in what happened in that game I did put out a video on TIFO IRL so do go and check that out on our YouTube channel I, d- I did actually watch that early today John but thank you for the plug I appreciate it I'm sure our viewers do too um, Dan how about you have you got anything to, uh, else to say about Liverpool and how to play I've not watched a ton of them but I watched um, half of the game against Palace because I thought it would be fairly relevant and and this was Palace towards the end of the Vieira time. So when Paris were pretty turgid at that period, and it was, to be honest, this was a really turgid game. Uh, like Liverpool, <laughs> Liverpool really generally... yourself to blame. You knew you knew all of this going. I into knew all it, of though. this. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. But I just, to be honest, <laughs> what was useful? I thought, well, Palace were at home. They're not, you know, despite the result on on, <laughs> on Sunday, they're fairly similar level team to Leeds, and you know they're playing a reasonably similar similar way. And what I found was that Palace just sat really passive, a little bit like Leeds against Brighton, really, and and they just forced Liverpool to horseshoe it around the whole time. And it was just it was, Liverpool couldn't get anywhere, and and on the occasion when Liverpool tried to break Palace's uh, line, it was Matip carrying the ball out, and then occasionally Palace sprang a, a counter press in that situation, and, and it got a little bit of joy, but not a ton of joy. So, but I don't think Matip will play against Leeds, so that's probably not relevant, is it? I think Canate's fit now, and Canate played yesterday, I think so. It's probably not relevant, um, but in that game. The fullbacks were very high, very you know, played, very, you know, they kind of stayed high and wide both of them. So it wasn't you know, it wasn't one fullback going the other one not. It was it was fairly um, fairly uniform. And um, and it, what I thought they did a little bit Liverpool was they, they piled up on the right hand side and then Van Dijk would hit a big diagonal ball over the top occasionally just to try and catch Palace out, but it didn't really work. Um, Palace were able to get back into into shape. So I wonder if Liverpool might try something like that if Leeds are passive, they might just try and draw Leeds to one side and then hit it over the top to get behind Furpa or, or, or Railing or whoever gets picked it right back that might be how they try and hurt us so we'll see okay yeah. certainly okay. work for Palace <laughs> well yeah it, yeah yeah, and the Bournemouth as well. Um, the goal that, that Bournemouth scored, that, it was just dreadful. I'm not sure if either of you, either of you saw it. it. You'd expect it to be from some sort of transitional moment, but it wasn't at all. Um, Bournemouth had a throw-in, and then it went back to, to someone then just, just did a simple pass, and it just went straight by, and you sort of saw Van Dijk trying to catch up with the guy who was obviously faster than him, and then he just ended up giving up. And then the ball was cut back to um, good old Philip Billing. Philip Billing, who, who seems to, be yeah. able to score incredible amounts yeah. of goals this season. Yeah, he's been, he's been good. And so, yeah, that, that was just an atrociously defended goal. So I'm thinking that if they play similar to, to that, and we may be able to get something in that. But thinking about what we're, we're going to do, 
Um, what are you expecting from us lineup wise and players, Dan? Uh, I mean, you've got to wonder at what point Ailing's going to get dropped <laughs> with his recent performances. So I, I kind of think the Leeds team will probably be relatively similar, you know, but I wonder if Ailing gets dropped. Perhaps if Wobers fit comes in for strike, you know, but I don't think there'll be tons of changes. Um, and in in terms of how we try and get at them, it's, it's, it's you know the narrative is trying Alexander Arnold is, is is the weakness, isn't he? So I mean, I think the the weakness is structural, and it's the same on the other side, isn't it? Robertson gets gets forward, and there's, there's still gaps behind him as well. So I think Leeds are going to probably try and go direct and get our wingers in behind their fullbacks, and I think it'll be fairly basic stuff from Leeds. Did Fabio go off injured at the weekend? Yes. Do we have we heard anything about him? Will he be will he be fit? He took a blow to his head, didn't he? So was it concussion? Perhaps yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure what he was taken off for, um, but yeah, it's possible that he does miss this game. Um, we will have to find out when Grazia gives us his pre-match pressures now. Is this game on Monday? Yes, so it's a week today, so he'll probably have had seven days of concussion break anyway. So he might be available if it, even I if it is. I think it's. 10 days, I think. I think it's 10 days that they have to give for a concussion break, if I'm remembering correctly. In which case, if he's not available, who who do we play? Because we played Christensen there to replace him, right? And then that doesn't really give us a huge amount of scope for dropping Ailing at this point, does it? Well, there's um, obviously stri- strikers played for their most of the start of the season when Furpo was injured. So it's uh, potential that he could go there. But considering Grazia didn't choose to do that, um, it's quite possible that... Um, Christensen does go to left back and God help our souls. <laughs> but yeah, that, but regarding the actual lineup, um, I don't think there'll be any massive changes. Um, it's possible we see Rodrigo start. Um, I know he's been slowly getting up, up to fitness. There's a possibility that he may start, but personally, I think it probably will end up being Bamford again because of his um, out of possession work. I think he's probably more trusted to start the game. And you think it'll be the same shape? That's that's the one thing that I'm not sure about. It's I know if we had the personnel, I, th- I would think a back five would probably be a better a better fit to this. Um, but I'm not sure if if we'll see that. I know, I know Gracia has used that in the past, but he hasn't shown much um, willing to do that this season, other than the odd mid-game change. But we haven't ever seen him start off the game with a back five. Um, do you think that we could see anything different shape wise, Dan? No, um, um, I think it feels a little bit like Grassy's set into his four four two stroke four two three one shape he's playing at the moment. It feels a bit set to me at the moment. I know we saw some situational changes against Brighton and Wolves, didn't we, in early on? But that that seems to have stopped happening. So I'm not sure why that stopped happening. Um, so no, I, I think I think we'll guide it in 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 the in the same way. It'll be four four two press. Yeah, I, I do think it probably will be similar. Yeah. We'll, the, question, I would, I would, yeah. the question is going to be how aggressive we are. He got to, I mean, like if you watch the, the Bournemouth game, they were they, they did get generate some turnovers, didn't they? Uh, in a few moments yeah, and, and won the game. Yeah. Where Palace didn't even try and do that, or they didn't. They rarely tried that. So I guess it depends which lessons Grassy wants to learn from those those away games, really, and how we how we press. Yeah, well, I think obviously there can be lessons to learn from the previous game, right? Against us, that was we set up a very specific game plan. Marsh wasn't pressing as much as we were at the time, so and that was quite a I won't say a legendary win, but it was for their first Anfield loss in quite some time. So it was a pretty important moment to the season, I think, because I think that result in itself probably kept Marsh in a job for longer than it, than we should have done. But yeah, so the, I, I do think that it will be interesting to see if he does try to press them or if he does 
sit there, want to do, do it the more passive way, which we've seen. It's going to be interesting to see. Um, so what, I know we've already mentioned some bits, but where do you think we can hurt them, John? Well, I mean, last time we hurt them was through two really blistering counterattacks right through Somerville and Nanto. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's where you, you hurt Liverpool at the moment, I think, if you can get in behind that, as we've said, aggressive high line and the fact that they're maybe a little bit sloppier on their triggers to drop the back line or, or push them forward. Um and again, if if um, if they're a little bit sloppy in terms of getting to the ball players, so the ball players have space and time to be able to pick their passes a little bit more carefully. Um, yeah, that's what I'd be doing. I'd be just trying to hit in, hit them hit them in behind in certain situations and and get good ball carriers, um, try and move the ball quickly and and get it into those those sorts of areas. Especially if we're sitting deeper, I suspect we probably won't press particularly aggressively. Um, so yeah, maybe we'll see that four four two press um, and yeah inshallah as always well yeah those are the kind of thing that we always look to do anyway the getting it in quickly to do to the wide players so yep yeah, i agree with that that's where we will try to hurt them whether it will work or we'll see and how do you think the game will play out dan um well, it's just game state isn't it so if we if we can you know if they go in front then we're scuppered aren't we you know early on um you know if if, if, if the game becomes really really transitional and, and back and forward i suspect Oh, despite their troubles, I think they still got they'll have too much power for us. Um, but if we can, you know, if we can, if we take the palace approach in the game at Southhurst Park, where we just kind of sit in a block and, and force them to hush you the ball around, then I fancy us to you know to shut them out, you know, or keep them to a goal, uh, and we might nick something. So I I susp- I worry that we get a bit gun, you know, we we get a bit aggressive and go after them a little bit too much and get caught out that's my worry i would i would rather see us actually just play quite quite a cautious game and and and, and let them um play around us you know let, let them just just bounce the ball around outside of our um our press yeah i'd agree with that i expect they will have the majority of the ball um they will probably try to keep possession around our butt and try to work something from our uh, I, I assume a pretty passive um, press that we'll have. That's the way I'm leaning. That we'll probably look towards going. So finally, where will this game be won or lost, John? I think that the best chance we have is, as I've been saying all the way through this podcast, is if we can counter press them, particularly around the halfway line, and then have quite direct and quick counter attacks from there. That would be the way that I would try and do it because we know that they'll probably be quite aggressive in their structure in those moments so if you can win the ball back and just have those transitional moments that's the best way of doing it and I think that I still think that's the best way we have of playing right now I know we all want to pretend that we're playing some kind of scintillating possession-based football but that we are limited by the squad that we have and our squad is limited by the fact that we don't have the technical players to be able to control possession in those settled phases so you know when you've got players like Brendan Aronson You've got to use him at, at the things that he's good at. When you've got players like Somerville and Nonto and Sinistera, those guys are good at, at just really dynamic, quick, direct attacking. And, and you've just got to get them into those sorts of situations and scenarios where they can do what they do best. It's not ideal, and I don't want it in the long run, but we've sort of shot ourselves in the foot by the squad building. So, yeah, that's that's what I think we should be largely trying to do. I think that's... The best games that we played under Marsh were those games where we didn't try and press high. We we pressed aggressively in the centre, stopped teams from being able to get through us, and and then we had those those turnovers. We did it with um, Manchester United under Skubala. Those two times they tried to pass 
progressed the ball through as they couldn't. We turned it over and generated chances. Same was true of the Fulham game under Gracia. That game where where a lot of us were really confident about what was happening on the basis of that. Literally every chance we generated was from a turnover ball and then and then attacking at speed. So that's the way that you that we're best going to be able to hurt teams, and that is the way that you can hurt Liverpool. So. That's what you sort of go into that game hoping. Um, this is the shakiest Liverpool team we've seen in absolutely ages. So hopefully we make the most of that. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I do think that this is a Liverpool side which can, as the saying goes, be got at. Um, they definitely do have weaknesses which have been exposed by opposition like us, um, like Palace did it and Bournemouth have done it. And I'm sure other teams who I'm forgetting about have done it too. Um, but yeah, I do think that the game will be probably won by us if we can make the most of the, of those moments, get the ball in quickly, and it'll be won by Liverpool if they just be good. <laughs> as as a, as it goes, eager to so um, sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. So we'll see which version of Liverpool turn up. Um, but I think that's everything for now. So first of all, I just want to say thank you to Dan for coming on. No problem. It's been a pleasure, mate. And thank you very much, John, for attending. Yeah, thanks. I've had a really good evening. Great, great stuff. And we will be back next week with a review of this match. But until then, enjoy the game and have a great week. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 